This is the birthplace of the Bohemian Revolution from Cowork 591 Studios. This is the Steve Brown Arts Center Podcast Network with co-host Dale Reber and producer Blake Tempest. I'm Jim Gillespie, and this is the Jessup News for June 5th, 2023. Tonight's sponsor is Derek's Repair Shop, LLC. For mechanical or detailing on your vehicle, call Derek at 319-215-8167 to make an appointment. Derek has been a friend of the Steve Brown Arts Center from early days. On today's podcast, we talked to Maurice Walsh about the Railroad Depot and Independence and much of his life service he has done. We talk about winners and looters, losers as usual. We do the fifth segment of Mandito's book on how to be successful. Um, I will be master of my emotions. We will look at the events inside of the Steve Brown Arts Center, including... Uh, the first art in the park program today. We give you the top stories in Jessup. We discuss service and art, and we talk about the Green Mountain train wreck. Dale talks a little bit more about um, Mr. Jessup, our founder, and we banter back and forth a little bit. I also have some on the flag. I need some for June, so if you have time, I talk about the American flag, too. We do. So, we right. do. I left okay. that out. Forgive right. me. That's all right. I try to keep those things from you. so you know. <laughs> A little bit. Somebody asked, how do I know when someone is a bohemian? So <laughs> okay. there is... And we all want to know that for sure, there to is make a, sure we're not one. So Okay. <laughs> a short... Um, this is the first thing you look for, and in the coming weeks, I'll try to give you other clues. <laughs> but a bohemian will always have a hat that goes with the vehicle in which they are traveling. Okay. Um, ivy caps and driver caps are popular with jalopies, roadsters, and bicycles. A classic fedora or a stringy, stingy brim fedora with a pointer vehicle, pointier vehicle. The babushka, a favorite of the gypsy bohemian, may be worn by all sexes and is favored for cross-country trips and caravans. Fairy types go for flower garlands, but twigs and pussy willows may also be found, find themselves entwined in hair along with other evidence that they've been communing with nature. Okay. <laughs> you never know when a bohemian will show up in a turban. That, if, mm. if you're looking for bohemians, yeah. look for mm. the hats. Was it two larks and a hen, uh, four something and a wren have all made their nests in my beard? That sounded like that. that was, so. <laughs> so. I was down to Mr. Polk's. He was here last last week, week yeah. And uh, I stopped at his store yesterday and looked around, and he's got several hats that I think would look well on you, and they're only like four dollars or six dollars. They were brand Ooh. new, and uh, they're the felt. They're not cowboy hats, but they're not fedoras either. But they're, and I think I've seen you wear a hat like that before. I have it has a, a fedora. Clear round. Yep. But uh, you should stop and look. They they uh, they looked really nice, and uh, the price. I brought a few, bought a few uh, fishing lures for my grandson, and uh, I bought a cap for myself. And oh, so, cool! But you got lots of stuff in there, and so, oh, I got I, Blake. I forgot to tell you, uh, on the podcast when you go online. We spelled his name wrong. He told me that. Ah. So I said, well, I'm sure Blake can change that. Yeah. So, but see, Blake's got his earplugs in over there, so there's no sense talking to him right now. <laughs> also from last week, I talked about Mr. Polk, but uh, I talked about the Jessup trees, and I got a call. Someone said, I'm going to be in Memphis this summer. You know, tell me more about those trees where I can see them. And so I started researching, and they are at the Agri-Center International 
uh, in Memphis, Tennessee, and they were exhibited for several years, but for the last two decades, they have been in storage. So probably they're not available to be seen. So, but I did email them and say, you know, is it, is, I guess I don't exactly, I kind of hinted the fact that I'm from Jessup, Iowa, and I love to see those trees. And so I didn't know if that'll do any good or not, but. Uh, Dropping names is what you're doing. Well, uh, just hope it's a heavy enough drop that they will say, well, well if you come out, we'll be glad to show them to you. So uh, that uh, is kind of a carryover from that show from last week. And so. Uh, very good. Very good. Thank you for that update. In, in just a public library news, the Spice Club this month is, I believe, Tajin. T-A-J-I-N. Yeah. yeah. And that's, it's not in the dictionary. I looked it up. And it's a trademark name. And so it's, uh, what she said, kind of like a chili seasoning or something like right. that, maybe. I'm not positive, but my wife asked Becky, and Becky told my wife, my wife told me, and I have since forgotten what she said. <laughs> so I'm sorry. I'll, I'll do better. i write it down next week. So. Uh, the summer story time in the park this, this week started, did, started um, today, June 1st. We taped this on the 1st, although this comes out on the 5th. Um, it was at... Hershberger Park in Emerald Acres today for uh, story time. Next week on the 8th, it's in the Corn Bar, Corn Park Gazebo. And on the 15th, it's in Liberty Park on 100 Ann Street. On the 22nd, it's West Land of Corn Park, the Blue Playground. And on June 29th, Parker Muncie Pioneer <coughs> Park, um, the summer reading program. Runs June 7th, the 14th, the 21st, and the 28th. I love the programs they're having. Um, one is Community Helpers and Hometown Heroes. Um, the next week is Friendship and Team Building. June 21st is Gardening, and the 28th is Kindness. Okay. Um, I'm all for all those things. Yeah, I, I am too. Yeah. Um, the Lawyer in the Park is Tuesday, or the Lawyer in the Library, forgive me, <laughs> is tomorrow, June 6th at 6.30. Amy Davis is in from the Amy Davis Law Firm. The English Paper Piecing. We are hosting two opportunities for this sewing class led by Kathy McFarland. Wednesday, June 15th at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. Cost is $10 for a kit and all materials. Book Club. Join us Monday, June 19th at 1 p.m. to discuss Hollywood Park by Michael Jolett. Movie Monday is June 26th, and the movie is still to, to be determined. Ah, okay. I hope it's Casablanca. Deal. It may be, but you know they show that on TCM so many times. That oh, I, I love I know it by heart. So. Um, support the Jessup Public Library by vi buying Velvet Coffee or the Polar Camel water bottle. New things to check out uh, include the croquet set, disc golf, and a digital camera, and a spike ball game. Dale, we ought to play spike ball someday. <laughs> you know how that is played? No, I don't. I don't either, so. Okay. We have to hire a kid to show us. Yeah. Uh, we'll get that on video for our, <laughs> for our fans. Um, you have a fan? Oh, never mind. Go ahead. All right. uh, not by the latest emails, yes, Dale. Yeah, okay. Don't. All right. New things to check out. The Jessup Public Library um, is more than books. Don't forget that. Dolly Parton Imagination Library is also there for children ages 0 through 5 years. Um, enroll online today. And don't forget 1,000 books before kindergarten. 
Get your children reading now. So that's uh, Jessup Public Library news. Dale, let's go to the winners and losers for the week. Okay, well, I speak of the house. McCarty? Yes. I think is probably the, the winner of the week because, you know, he had a lot of trouble becoming speaker in his own caucus. And uh, just by the skin of his teeth, did he make it after, what, 13 ballots or something? And for him to uh, be able to get the votes to pass this budget thing yeah. in the House, I think, was a major accomplishment because I didn't think he had, I didn't think he had it. You know, he didn't have, uh, I'm looking for the word, the moxie or the, the gusto or whatever right. to get the job done. Uh, for this when there's so much controversy. And so he was, he's, he's my winner of the week. I think this is probably a big deal for him in, in, for now and for his future. And uh, I heard a little thing aside here that uh, if it passes, the United States will need to raise, by selling treasury bonds, a trillion dollars in the next six months so they can pay off and pay back all the money they've been shifting around from account to account to pay the bills up until this time. And so uh, I don't know what the interest rate is on Treasury bills, but it's probably pretty good. So you can see how it just keeps piling up, you know, mounting right. and mounting and mounting. And someone told me a little, th you know, like if you pile a stack of dollar bills to the moon, that would be this number, this sort of thing. And there's a, a, something like that for a trillion, but I cannot remember what it, I was going to look that up, I didn't. But it's just a fantastic, you just can't, your brain can't conceptualize a trillion and to realize that we're, you know, what, $31 trillion in the hole. And, uh, you know, that money's not out there, you know. So I don't know. But anyway, uh, I, I I didn't think from the past, from when McCarty tried to become speaker, for him to get this done, I thought uh, he, even though I don't like him, he should be my winner this week. So It's a big win for him. Yeah. Yep. He, uh, part of the problem right now, Deal, is we have, besides President Biden, we have 535 other men and women who think they're president <laughs> of the United States right yeah. now as well. That, that's probably true, yeah. So. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, my winner um, is John Skipper. He's one of the co-founders of Metal Lark Media. He is former head of of the ESPN um, network, okay. and he was incredible. Um, did a lot for women and minorities on that network, brought ESPN into modern times, and then um, he, become a, he became addicted to drugs, and he was, uh, he was fired. Mm -hmm. And he was good friends with Dan Levitard down in Miami, who worked for ESPN, and when he was fired, Libertad rushed to Carolina to be with him. And they talked over the years, and they found Metal Luck Media, and they have built quite a media network <clears throat> themselves. Mm -hmm. And his name is John Skipper. Um, Dale, who is your loser for the week? <laughs> well, again, there's lots of candidates for yeah. losers, it seems no. like. But... Uh, this is the one that affected me the most. Is I read the Des Moines Register, and I also read the Waterloo Courier every day. And uh, the Register had an article, and they have a they still do investigative reporting. You can write them about a concern, and they will look into it. And uh, I'm not sure this is a part of that, but there's a big long article about a nursing home in Iowa uh, inspected by human services or whoever does the inspecting, and. Uh, Food, rotten food lying around in the kitchen, uh, people not, uh, you know, laying in their beds and not being changed when they need to be changed, uh, mice running around, 
uh, there's a, apparently some of the patients were found with drugs and they say, oh, yeah, we buy them right here in the nursing home. <laughs> and there's, they had some pretty good marijuana, I guess. Uh-huh. And I guess they buy it from somebody in the nursing home. And uh, everything's dirty. And the poor people, and, uh, you know, the older you get, the more you think about nursing homes. Mm-hmm. But uh, Iowa, the regulators, they have cut down the number of inspectors. They have nursing homes are fined, and then they forgive the fines. Uh, the people who own nursing homes give lots of money to our politicians as far as campaign donations and this sort of thing. And I just don't see how people can make money on the misery of others when these old people, they need somebody to take care of them. And I know, man, that's a tough job, and you don't make much money. And the people that will work for that kind of money, I, I remember Celine Schumann, she would say, she worked with some really slow learners in this thing at school. She said, you know, what bothers me the most is these are the people who going to be taking care of me in the nursing home someday. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure that's not 100% true, but these older people, they deserve uh, more respectful taking care they of in their, in their elder yeah. years. And, and uh, by God, I just every time I see an article like that, I just can't get over why we can't do a better job of inspecting these nursing homes and getting them up to snuff and... Uh, because people are making a lot of money, even if you're on Title 19 or whatever, and that's all the money you, you get to pay, uh, they're still making tons of money, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. So anyway, the nursing home industry, you are my losers of the week. So. Yeah. My loser is a man by the name of Frank Abagnale. I'm sure you've heard of him. Um, he was He was made famous in a movie by Tom Hanks and Leonardo DiCaprio in a movie called Catch Me If You Can. All right. I actually saw that movie. Yep. Okay. And they make Frank Abagnale out to be the greatest criminal in the history of the world. Um, They make him out to be a doctor at one time, a lawyer at one time. Um, they don't talk about it, but he was a—he claimed to be a college professor at one time, and he also claimed to have you mean an airline pilot. Oh, he was a pilot. Yeah. Flew, he flew deadhead on several flights. Mm-hmm. Um, but how he made his money is he made counterfeit checks. Okay, yeah, that's. I remember. And he claimed to have made over a million. Point three million dollars, one point three million dollars worth of checks. Unfortunately, um, research has been done, and nobody can find that he was ever a college professor. Nobody can find that he made more than maybe a hundred thousand dollars in oh, checks. Okay. Um, the the. Truth is about this supposed the greatest criminal in the history of our country is not the truth. Yeah. Okay. And so he is, in my mind, a loser of the week for me. Yeah. Frank Frank Abagnale. You get a chance to look up Frank. He there's no doubt he was an interesting man, but not as interesting as he is. Yeah. You know, he conned people. Yeah, that was his thing. Yeah. yeah. So I think in the movie he got a job at the end with the FBI to help them find he did people like him. Did that, was that no. true? Okay, that was true. All right. No. And how did you know how that worked out? Or um, he he did he worked for them um, for a long time and then he started his own company. Okay. He went when he started his own company. He went bankrupt. Yeah. 
because he wasn't as good as, yeah. <laughs> as, as he, he thought he was. Yeah. yeah. Though so, our government paid him all those years to. <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> okay, they, that's part of that trillion dollars we need to raise. So. Yeah, they did. Uh, Dale, would you would you talk about the <clears throat> obituaries brought to you by White's Funeral Home? Okay. All right, we have uh, three obituaries, and uh, the first I'm going to talk about is Kimberly Zayas. And uh, we don't have. She, they're going to have a celebration of life service for her. She was 61 years old. Uh, she was uh, living in Cedar Falls. She formerly is from Jessup, and she died on Wednesday, May 24th. And so the complete obituary is going to come out later on, as I understand it. But uh, I see her picture here, and I recognize her as the Jessup person. So this next one is uh, Diane S. Miller, and. Uh, I, I knew Diane quite well. She worked at, in the elementary school, and she was the lunch lady for years and uh, tried to make the kids eat their peas, but they <laughs> they avoided <laughs> religiously. Okay. Uh, Diane S. Miller, 86 years old, of Jessup, died Friday, May 26th at Unity Point Allen Memorial Hospital in Waterloo. Uh, they're going to have private family graveside services at 1030 uh, Wednesday, May 31st at Cedar Crest Cemetery. And they also had a public visitation from 4 to 6 on Tuesday, May the 30th. Uh, any memorials can be directed to the First Presbyterian Church here in Jessup. Uh, Diane was born on March 29, 1937 in Buchanan County, Iowa, the daughter of Claire Miller and Esther Delilah Walter Miller. She graduated from Quatsquitan High School and attended Mount Mercy College in Cedar Rapids. On June 15, 1956, that's the same anniversary I have, she was united in marriage to John William my, uh, Miller at the Union Church in Quaskerton, Iowa, and I'm sure a lot of people in Jessup knew John. He was a barber and then also worked at uh, school for many years as a custodian. They moved to Jessup in the fall of 1958 and raised their family. Diane worked as a teacher's aide at Jessup Community School and also in the lunchroom. She was a member of the First Presbyterian Church in Jessup and a past member of the Order of the Eastern Star. She is survived by three sons, Steve, uh, wife Marcy Miller of Waterloo, Greg Miller and Bruce Miller, both of Jessup, a son-in-law, Jeff Youngblood of Jessup, two sisters, Judy, Jack Hines of Dabari, Florida, Martha Miller of Daytona Beach, Florida, and one brother, J.C. Patty Miller of Brandonton, Florida. Eight grandchildren, Kyle Miller, Brent Miller, Mackenzie Miller, Hunter Miller, Mandy Miller, Emily Miller, Ryan Youngblood, and Kelly Soppy, and eight grandchildren. In addition to her husband, John, she is preceded in death by her parents, uh, one daughter, Cindy Youngblood, and one brother, Arch Miller. Online condolences, I'm sure, can still be posted at uh, whitemounthope.com. Uh, and so uh, I think uh, Mackenzie Miller, did you ever as a student? Yes. I did, too. She was a really good, sharp girl. Mm -hmm. And the, the other ones, I'm afraid I didn't know. And then our last one is Sally A. Cresser, and Cresser is a Jessup name. Uh, Sally Ann Cresser, 76 years old of Independence and formerly of Waterloo and Prairie du Chien, died Monday, May 22, 2023 at Uni Point St. Luke's Hospital in Cedar Rapids. Uh, services were uh, Friday, May 26th at St. Anthanasius Catholic Church here in Jessup. Uh, memorials can still be directed to the family, and you can uh, post online condolences at uh, whitemounthope.com. Uh, Sally was born January 10, 1947 in Waterloo, the daughter of Douglas Franklin Carpenter and Helen Marie Jensen Carpenter, graduated from West High School with a class of 65. On May 21, 1966, she was united in marriage to Thomas Edward Cresser in Waterloo, and she worked in the Waterloo banking industry and retired from U.S. Bank in Waterloo, where she was a divisional operations manager. Uh, Sally is survived by her husband, Tom of Independence, two daughters, Shelley Martin King of 
Olaf, Kansas, uh, Carrie Fred Schutte of Byron, Minnesota, and six grandchildren, Quentin, Tommy, King, Griffin King, Bryce Schutte, Mackenzie Schutte, Noah Schutte, three great-grandchildren, Caroline, Preston, Jose, Josie, and one on the way. Also three brothers, Douglas Carpenter of Florida, Robert Carpenter of Waterloo, and Gary Carpenter of Raymond, and her parents preceded her in death. So those are the three obituaries we have today, Jim. Okay, so. thank you. Thank you, Dale. Mm-hmm. This is the Steve Brown Art Center Podcast Network. And we're here tonight with Morris Walsh, and we're going to talk about his lifelong service to our area and his work to bring the Railroad Depot to Independence. And we were talking earlier, so I'm going to ask some questions, and Dale will ask some questions that we, we spoke on earlier. Um, where did you grow up? Let's start with that. I grew up at Orn. I went... Uh, we lived about a mile and a half out of Orn, and I went to school all my life in Orn, graduated from Orn. Okay. And where'd you go to college? Upper Iowa. Yeah, Peacock, that's where yes. I went as well. Good. And and what'd you major in? Uh, elementary education. Okay. How long did you teach, Morris, and where did you teach? I taught, uh, <clears throat> for, I retired after 46 years, and... I taught two years in the country school, one uh, first year at Westgate, Iowa, and the other one was out west of Fairbank, and, uh, and then I came into Fairbank and stayed there all my life. Okay. So you uh, must have been a real pioneer as an elementary education. Yeah. Because uh, I was in, in the 70s, and there were very few men in elementary education then at, at school. So. Well, that period of time... My time in the service was with, uh, we were occupational uh, troops after the Second World War, and a lot of these young guys came back after the war, mm-hmm. had the GI Bill, and a lot of them just for just happened to go into education. Uh-huh. Well, they, they found out that that wasn't a big money maker, and so they only taught maybe a year or two, and then they got into insurance and some other Got a field. real job. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. The, uh, what, you said you were in the military. What branch of the military were you in? Uh, I was a medic, 109th Medical Company. And you were in Germany? Yeah, I was in Germany. Okay. Okay. And when, when did you go in and when did you get out of the, the military? 1951 and 53. I come out in 53. Okay. So did you see Elvis when you were over there? No, I oh, didn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> he, I mean, he, he's a little later, I guess, than that. But, right? Yeah. Um, and so um, you, you went to Upper Iowa, got your education degree, and were hired by the Wapsie Valley or the... The Fairbanks School District? What was the school district? Yeah, Wapsie, it was uh, Wapsie Valley. Well, it, actually, in the, at that particular time, it was Fairbank. Uh, Fairbank Orange uh, still had their own school then, didn't they? Fairbank uh, High School. Fairbank, yeah. uh, but didn't Orange have their own high school also at that o- time? Orange had their own high yeah. school, yeah. Uh-huh, because I remember playing baseball there. And, oh, did but, you? Oh, yeah, years. And uh, they had their own high school, and Fairbank had... Two high schools they had the, the parochial school and yeah. the public school, yeah. and every little town had their own high school. Yeah. And now, what? Well, there's only three in the whole county, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, we we were pretty good in baseball, but we, we didn't mount to anything in basketball because we never had a gym. We shot baskets on the 
coal shed. Yeah. Out, out <laughs> <the coal> shed. <laughs> and we had to play our games uh, in Fairbank Gym. We played our uh-huh. home games in Fairbank. Sure. Hey. Yeah. And that wasn't very big, was it, no. compared to what they are now? Yeah. And, uh, I remember reading once in somewhere in Iowa, they had a gym had a support pole right in the middle of the floor, well, and they I, used to use that to peel off their guy guarding them. And so I tell you, I worked for uh, during the summer. I think when I was still in school, either junior or senior, I worked for Jacob's floor sanding, painting and floor sanding, and, and he was out of old wine, and we refinished the aurora, the aurora gym okay. at that time. Yeah. And the ceiling was so low that you had to almost shoot a straight <laughs> shot. <laughs> okay. It, we didn't have a pole in the middle, but we yeah. it was it was their ceiling was just mm-hmm. so low that it, Yeah, they couldn't play volleyball there, could they? No. So well that's very interesting because uh, yeah. some of those old gyms have, have of course they're all gone now, but yeah. they have interesting yeah. stories. I, I got you off track. No, I'm that's sorry good. but I found no, that interesting. That, so, that, that's uh, well we have Morris here. So so, um, so Morris, you taught taught over forty years, and then and then you retired, and then you started your second career. After I, I teaching, I uh, spent two years in the service, and then along with my teaching, of course, we had a big family, so I needed the extra income, so I took the city clerk's job, and had that for twenty years, and then after. I retired from that. Uh, then I was elected mayor for 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's in Fairbank. Yeah. Wow, that's a long time to be. Yeah. Must be a popular man in Fairbank to get 30 elections know, or 30 be. years for. Is that every two years you had to run? Yes. Or? Wow. So. Yeah. And, and how many children did did you guys have? I was in Germany when our first was born and was born, and so I got a I re, requested a. To come home, sure, and I did, but then we had eight of our own, and then we took care, took my wife's uh, sister at when she was five years old because mm-hmm. her mother passed away. Okay, so yeah, when she was forty-three. So. Yeah. So do you want do you want to say hi to any of those? Do you think any of those would listen to this podcast? I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> So are your children around the area, or uh, we have four in Fairbank, and uh, the oldest one, and the the second boy is they're both contractors. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And and then I have a daughter, two daughters in Fairbank, and. Uh, so that's nice. They all stay close to home yeah, for you. That's great. So, I spent a little time in the hospital last winter. So I. Yeah, I think, stayed right with us. Did you guys do a lot of babysitting with grandkids then? No, not very often. Not really? Okay. So I would have thought that you'd have been prime suspects for Yeah. What uh so so I know that you were real active Morris in bringing the uh, railroad depot to Independence. You want to tell us about that a little bit? Well, to begin with, we were longtime members of Fayette County Tourism and we were asked to come to Buchanan County Tourism and join to help them get organized back in those days. And um, we had a, a slight meeting in Jeanette Randall's mother's kitchen one day, and I made the comment that we, would, we should be a liable organization 
if we had a location of our own because we were sharing places with other organizations mm -hmm. in, in uh, independence, you know, and so we didn't have a place of our own. So I made the comment that we should have a place of our own, and Jeanette Randall, who was a member at that time, agreed, and she stated that she knew the Illinois Central wanted to move the depot, and they wanted to get it off the track where it was located. And uh, <clears throat> she said, by the way, I see a sign in Leroy uh, Greenlee's lot over there that he has for sale. And she said, I'll check with Leroy. And Leroy wasn't selling the lot. He was selling railroad ties. Oh. He, had, he, he had his sign out there by some old railroad <laughs> okay, ties. Yeah. So anyway, Leroy, being a good community person, agreed to sell us the location. So we now had the location, and we knew we could get the depot, so we applied for a grant. And we were, uh, the grant was through the transportation department, and we were given uh, better than $200,000 oh, wow. for the grant. Mm -hmm. And that started us on the right track yeah. Yeah. Uh, to, to move the depot. Anyway, <clears throat> in Fett County, we had moved, moved uh, a, a log cabin up there. And our mover was uh, from Wadena, Ellsworth, from Wadena. And he came down and looked at the depot, but he decided it was too big because the depot weighed 350 ton. Oh, my. And he said he'd have to rent so much equipment, mm -hmm. so, so many wheels, uh, so he wasn't interested. Sure. So Jeanette continued to look, and she found a mover from Kentucky, and his name was Edwards Mover and Moving and Rigging. Rigging. <clears throat> I didn't know what rigging was. I went to the dictionary and looked, looked up for rigging, and rigging has to do with uh, sailors, uh, the ropes on on the ships. Uh -huh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, he had an advertisement. I remember at the time he had an advertisement of moving a silo across a body of water. Mm -hmm. Almost an unthinkable thing. Yeah. You know, and I suppose that's where the riggers come in. Right. But uh, anyway, we got the 200, two, we actually got $205,000 of transportation money, and Jeanette then got an agreement with Edwards from Kentucky to move the depot and he came out and looked at it and proceeded to move it. And um, I remember at the time, we put chalk mark on the wheel because it moved so slow you could hardly see it move uh -huh. because they moved it off about three blocks off the track where it originally was. Okay, so I was going to ask you how far. So three yeah. blocks they had to move yeah. it? Yeah, okay. they moved about three blocks had to move. So that, that took care of the move. And um, Do you remember how much he charged you to do that? or? Remember? Uh, I suppose we the to total amount. Oh, yeah, okay, because that's 000. a lot of money in those yes. days. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But see, he moved that and the plus the baggage building. Uh huh. Also. Yeah. Um, and, and how long did that take him to to lift it up to get under it? Uh, well, I to think do all that. A week, a week or better. Mm -hmm. At the 
preparations, you oh, know. Oh, sure, yeah. And, uh, and the move, moving time was uh, actually November of uh, November 95. That is, that is a beautiful now, site for, for the tourism center. Yeah, the total grant was $205,800, and the, the time was November 18, 1995. Okay. And, and what did the building cost to buy? The, the building yeah the building was actually built in 1913 and 14 at a total cost of forty thousand dollars okay and what did you guys have to pay to buy it from the railroad one dollar one dollar yeah uh, inflation didn't take over there did it? No. <laughs> um, that, no, no they will they wanted to get rid of it because the it was a liability to yeah. them mm -hmm. you know to sit down there on the track yeah and they they were wanting somebody to take it or, or demolish it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I went to the depot once. That my aunt was coming from Indiana on the train. It was been in the early 60s, and I was, it was in the middle of the night. So I drove down there to get her. Well, the train comes in. She doesn't get off. I lived in Hazleton, so I went back home. Oh. Well, then as soon as I got home, I got a phone call. Why don't you come and get me? And I said, well, you weren't on the train. Well, sure she was. And well, I had seen the train come in from the west. I should have been waiting for the eastbound train oh. or from the east train. <laughs> so, so I was not very smart in those days. And so, yeah. but, uh, so that's the last time I was at the, the depot, but actually the trains were still going through yeah. at that time. As my wife worked at uh, Rockford, Illinois, and she used to take the train from Independence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it was, uh, well, you we went through Jessup, the, the, called the Land of Corn. They had passenger yeah. trains through here all the time for, for many years. And yeah. the, it was. I don't know when the last. I should know when the last one was, but I don't remember. I, but, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I know there there was a train out of Orn, out of actually out of Owine. It started in Owine and and left and it went to Clarion, Iowa, mm -hmm. and we lived just a mile and a half out of Orn, and we'd be out in the field and we we always waited for that depot. To, uh, we called it the Dinky. Yeah. And it it came come back to. Oh, wine about six o'clock in the evening, and then in the morning, and to go to Clarion. Okay. The uh, there was a roundhouse in Owine, correct? Yes. Yeah. 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 was called Hub City because it had. Yeah. Well, the Rock Island went through there, and the Chicago Great Western I know went through there, yeah. and uh, you waited for trains sometimes a long time yeah. when you were in the car yeah. uh, at the crossings, and uh, but no, it was the whole town was railroad. My brother yeah. worked for the Chicago Great Western and then others. My uncle town. worked at the railroad and in Owain, and then during the Second World War, he went to California, worked in the shipyard. Mm -hmm. The uh, so so how many? Who else was on the committee with you to uh, to help move that? Well, I don't I don't remember a lot. A lot of the guys were the members were railroad people. Uh -huh. You know, it went through up in. In different places. Okay, and they were anxious probably to save the depot, weren't they? Uh, they were probably anxious to save the yes, depot because yes. they would have torn it down, I'm sure, yeah, if yeah. they hadn't found somebody to get it. Yeah, yeah, and they they were all good workers, but I I I don't want to repeat names because I leave somebody. <laughs> oh, out sure, I sure, I understand. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure you outlived them all, so they won't they won't complain. So no, you don't probably not. The fact I'm not the only living. Crew member left out well, there. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if you yeah. were. Yeah. Well, Morris, do you mind if I ask how old are you? Uh, about two weeks, I'll be 95. Wow. Oh. And you, you were telling me before we went on the air that you were out in the garden working today. Yeah, I was 
working in the yard, and I, I got bit by something. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The bugs are always there, aren't they? Yes, yes. yeah. Morris, you were involved with that. Um, you were you were involved as city clerk and the mayor. What are, what what are some things you're real real pr proud of that that you accomplished when you were mayor in in Fairbank? Oh, I had quite a list of stuff. I I did a hunt while I was mayor, or I guess when I was city clerk, I made a, t a timeline. Fairbank was incorporated in 1891. And all the mayors and all the clerks that served from then till now, mm -hmm. and and I also had on that timeline all the accomplishments and what year they were put into service, uh -huh. uh, along with the population during that time too. When I when I took the clerk's job, uh, Fairbank was a hundred or six hundred and fifty population, and now it's. About thirteen hundred, so mm -hmm. we yeah, we've doubled. Is, yeah, there's some nice homes there on the east side, yes. out in there, and uh, they're and, they're uh, all in the Fayette County side. Oh, are they? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know my uncle. He said he he had to pay taxes like to three different counties or something. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. he had farmland, he, and so because we're Blackhawk and Buchanan, and yeah. we're and Fayette all right yeah. there at the yeah. intersection. Yeah, yeah. Tri County area. Yeah. That's interesting. Excuse me to avoid your question. Some of the accomplishments, the big thing, we put in a swimming pool and we allowed $30,000 and we set aside another 10000 if we needed it, but we had a lot of volunteer work. And uh, we bought that pool from Bishop and he put in a pool in Winthrop at the same time. But in Winthrop, the pool was put in at the mill Dust and dirt from the mill always oh, came. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a swimming pool there. I remember that. Yeah. But it, he was a different individual. Uh, everything had to be cash. You had to kick. I know my wife and I, after we had the pool in, we went down and got a heater. We went to Carlisle, Iowa, and got a, and bought the heater. But we had carry the cash with us because everything had to be cash. Yeah. yeah. He, he was a different individual. He, <laughs> he retired from the service, and he, he got into making these pools. He was a cash guy, he, yeah. He was kind of shady. Yeah, kind of, I he was so, a little yeah. different. What year, or do you remember when they when the, the island park, it's been a long time, but it really seemed like it's the last, I don't know how many years. It looks very, very nice. Like They put a lot of work into that over the years. Uh, I remember one of the elderly guys that passed away here quite a few years ago, but I remember he making a comment that he, that he used a horse and a slip, you know, a slip mm -hmm. at the time. Yeah, to dig out the dirt. Put dirt around. The, yeah. And he worked on the island there, and he said that that's, that particular way was paying his poll tax. Ah, okay. He, he had... But that so it's it's been there a long time. Yeah, I know it has. Yeah, because yeah. no, I used to when I was a little kid, I used to fish there. Oh, we'd come over and fish there. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, uh, a lot a lot of people fish there. Yeah, especially the Amish. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They like to fish. Yeah. You see a lot of Amish at Fontana too. According to my my son's a big fisherman. He never keeps hardly any fish. He mm -hmm. fishes for bass all the time. Yeah. He has a cabin on the Mississippi, but anyway. He said that Amish keep everything. Yeah. No matter what how big or small yeah. they they keep everything. They they fish for food. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they do. 
So, so Morris, uh, what's your latest project that you've been working on besides your garden? Our big thing, we still have a we have a store downtown. It used to, it's one of the older buildings that left in Fairbank. It has, uh, it was the 1897 cafe. It's across City Hall. <clears throat> and uh, I told my grandson, you can have the building because I spent more than $13,000 to tear down our old apartment house, which was a hotel at one time. Uh-huh. And, <clears throat> and then, uh, so anyway, he applied for a grant and we still have all the stuff in that building. It was full of antiques. We have to get that out of there. Yeah, you need a museum, when don't you? Yes, when yeah. he starts work on it. Yeah. yeah, that's one of the. That's, that's a lot of work. You, yeah. yeah, you got a lot of work ahead of yes. you there, Morris. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, Morris, is there anything else you'd like uh, like to talk about before we finish? Well, I might go through the what I spent, the time I spent in the depot. And putting it, getting it in shape. Okay, yeah, that'd be yeah. nice to know, yeah. Um, <clears throat> anyway, I was saying that the depot was built in 1913 14 at $40,000. It weighed three, three ton, and uh, they moved it, never cracked a window or anything. Isn't that amazing. And, uh, and shortly after it was moved, we uh, applied for a grant to tuck point the building. And that grant was eighty-eight thousand dollars. Forty-four thousand was uh, the amount of the grant, and we had to come up with the other forty-four thousand. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. So, and how did you raise that money? I'll tell you, our organization, our people, our members, did a lot of fundraising. Uh, we used to, to begin with. Well, we went to Hazleton. Hazelton had bingo, so the, we would serve lunches at, at the Legion building there. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. And we would generally take a, a month at a time or sometimes two months, and they, once a week they had bingo, so mm-hmm. we raised money that way. Uh, during the fair time of fair, the, the fair generally ran a week, and <clears throat> I remember um, we would leave... Fairbank about five o'clock in the morning in order to get down to the fairgrounds to make pancakes for. Yeah. As we made money that way, uh, we we had uh, Christmas at the D, at the mill. We had Christmas trees at the mill. Okay. And we it just a lot of different things. We we were associated a lot with uh, tourism groups in Des Moines. Uh, I remember. Building a a rack that went in uh, into our now we have, it was it was a station wagon or something. Anyway, we, I built a rack to fit in there because the, we would meet with the legislators for a day, mm-hmm. and you, you could only give them something that valued about three dollars. Oh, okay. So we took all kinds of pies down there to Des Moines, <laughs> from Fairbank to Des Moines, and we carried them. Carried them down on this. So rack. you can buy a legislator for a pie. That's pretty good. And, so. and, we, and we, we, when they'd come visit our booth, we'd give them a slice of pie. Uh-huh. So. Uh huh. So there was just a lot of things that we. I know you have the Christmas at the depot now. I mean, I've been over there yes. several times. At it Christmas was time, yeah. Then we had the live trees. Uh huh. And 
that is that place is so cold because yeah. of that <laughs> water running. We'd wear overshoes. <laughs> it was awful cold. Yeah. So. And that went on for a week at a time. We raised a lot of money anyway. Yeah. A lot of people working to. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, it's amazing what a little hard work can do, isn't it? And yeah. If you really try. Uh, so. But different ones like uh, <clears throat> railroad man, especially from Winthrop, uh, responsible for getting the depot and the and the engine of the, on the track mm -hmm. that, yeah. to the west of the building yeah. mm -hmm. there in, in Independence, uh, and uh, that particular that particular um, amount of money, I think right now is forty five thousand four hundred twelve dollars. That is a separate account. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. but, you know. Yeah. They have this that much money. Yeah, yeah. So. Set aside. It's uh, it's amazing um, what you've done in your life, Morris. Yeah. You know. So, anyway, um, just to give you a little little time of what I spent in in the depot um, <clears throat> after my retirement, I, I of course, uh, then I had that fall and winter. I worked in the depot a lot uh, to get that in shape. Uh, so. For one thing, there was a, a hole about this big in the ceiling, and I closed that hole up because the stovepipe went up through there. Mm -hmm. it, that was had a, a heater in there. Yeah, that's the way they heat mm -hmm. the yeah. heat uh, in the depot. <clears throat> anyway, I closed that hole up and then proceeded to paint the paint the depot inside. Uh, <clears throat> the worst part of the painting was I had two colors. I had a lighter color on the top and a, a darker on the bottom, uh, about chair railing high. Mm -hmm. And I put a half inch a colored line across. That was the hardest thing, I think, oh, I bet. the yeah. whole thing. Yeah. Uh, but I, I painted the interior of that building and uh, along with varnishing in the, uh, the windows, cleaning the floor was another part of the project. Uh, I was told that we, I could get all that dirt out of those cracks in the floor by taking a hammer and a, a short two by four by beating on it and pop that dirt out of the, oh. out of the cracks and that didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> so, <clears throat> that complete depot floor, I took a sharp item and a uh, I think uh, like an ice pick or something, mm -hmm. and went through every crack yeah. in that floor before I sealed it. So I, I did that before sealing the floor. The section guys had an oil barrel over on the on the west side. That oil barrel, of course, they they weren't careful, and mm -hmm. oil got on the floor, and it. Uh, I had to try to get that cleaned up before sealed the floor. So I. I got a lot of a big box of soda, and every morning I would put soda on that spot, and, uh, and then the next morning I'd take get throw that out, put fresh soda, okay. and eventually got that oil out of that. Is that uh, right? Okay, I area, and uh, sealed the floor. Uh, the benches, the benches originally came from uh, Waterloo, and they were walnut and awful heavy, so uh, they also had crack ever two, probably two inches. So <clears throat> I had to varnish those benches, and I know at the time we, we hauled those to 
Fairbank rather than to come down to the depot and spend the time on the bench. All the storm windows were uh, stored in uh, Butterfield's uh, building over there. Butterfield had the garage. Oh, okay, I remember that. Uh, yeah. Next to the depot. Mm -hmm. And all those, build, all those windows were there. Those windows were probably between six and seven feet high. Wow. They were awful heavy. I yeah. bet you they were. They, were. they were big windows. And I think the, at the fire room right, there was 23 of them. And I did all the windows. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and, that's what I was uh, going to say is putty. Yeah. And then painted all, all the storm windows. That's one of the things I mentioned the other day. I was stopping at the depot. I said, those windows need painting again because the sills are getting yeah. showing. Mm -hmm. So anyway... I, I went to the Butterfield building and I did that over there and then they, they were brought back to the depot and, and of course, hung and uh, they were put on turnbuckles mm -hmm. at the time. I mm -hmm. see now that they're actually screwed on oh, okay. on the onto the building. Yeah. But basically, that's about... Well, I would say you did an awful lot. That's yeah. it. I spent and, uh, almost a year. Yeah, yeah. and it's a very nice building. I've been in this and that, it's very nice. Uh, I had three of our sons helped us with that. Uh, like I said, the benches were moved to Fairbank. Our oldest son helped us do that. Uh, in the office part of the building, uh, that floor was giving away a little bit uh, from the where it should be. And uh, our second son is uh, and uh, Jack's under that. Jacked that up, mm -hmm. got it back where it's supposed yeah. to be. Uh, our other son helped us, helped me with the floor. Basically, yeah. those three boys did donated a lot of their time. Yeah, well, that's good. Help me, so that's good. When I need to help, you me. taught them well. Yeah. So, Morris, thank you so much yeah, for thank coming you. It's been in. Very interesting. Tonight's uh -huh. pleasure to meet you. Yeah, yeah, and I had and, a good life. Uh, yeah, well, I think uh, so. And uh, it's you've shared a lot of your life with other people and helped. You know, you think uh, of how many people have been through that depot and seen the work that you did. So that's really nice. So, so anyway. Yeah, it got yeah. done. That's the main thing. Thank you so, so much. Yeah. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to meet you. We have the sixth step to success. I think I said the fifth step to success from Ogmandino's great book, The Greatest Salesman in the World. <clears throat> um, the sixth step is I will be the master of my emotions. Okay. Probably of all of these, Dale, this has been the toughest one in my, uh, my life to control my emotions. Mm hmm but Mandino writes, and how I will master my emotions so that every day is a happy day and a productive one. I will learn the secrets of the ages. Weak is he who permits his thoughts to control his actions. Strong is he who forces his actions to control his thoughts. Each day when I awaken, I will follow this plan of battle before I am captured by the forces of sadness, self-pity, and failure. If I feel depressed, I will sing. If I feel sad, I will laugh. If I feel ill, I will double my labor. If I feel fear, I will plunge ahead. If I feel inferior, I will, ne will wear new garments. If I feel uncertain, I will raise my voice. If I feel poverty, I will think of wealth to come. If I feel incompetent, I will remember past success. If I feel insignificant, I will remember my goals and today, I will master my emotions. I just love Mandino. Mm -hmm. I know. I know you do. There's a lot to that. I, I remember, like, if you're sick for th three or four days, just been laying around in a sweatsuit, not shaving or anything, not showering, just moaning and groaning and feeling sorry for yourself, and then 
one day you wake up and you say, okay, so you shave and you shower and you dress up a little bit and it just makes you feel a whole lot better, uh, even though you may feel exactly the same, but you've done something to try to perk yourself up. And I think, you know, part of that is what he is saying there. It's just, uh, there are things you can do for yourself, for your emotions. Yeah, so, uh, I agree with that. I agree with that. Dale, you have something on the fly. Well, I, uh, <coughs> excuse me, was looking at June, you know, one of the big holidays in June, <laughs> well, uh -huh. there's Flag Day, and uh, uh, we put up all those flags between four and 500 out from 6th Street out to the cemetery, so I guess I'm thinking about flags too. And so I did a little research on the United States flag. And uh, Jim, uh, how many stripes on this flag? And how many are red? And how many are white? Oh, gosh. Um, I believe seven are red and six are white. Right. Start with the red and end with the red. Mm -hmm. So that is correct. Okay. And uh, do you know the stripes? That, you know what they're called? The, the proper term? Are they the bars? Well, no, it's called bari or berry, B-A-R-R-Y. Okay. okay, that was close. And the stars are called? I don't know. <laughs> I the stars. They're called mullets. The mullets. They're the mullets. Okay. So right. flags, there's flag terminology. And the mullets are the things that are in the field, no matter what oh, they yeah, are. Yeah. yeah, the number of them. Okay. okay. And uh, it's interesting. The flag day has only been a national holiday since August 3rd, 1949, when it was passed by Congress and signed by President Truman. There's been lots of things done by cities and states and this sort of thing, but it didn't become a national holiday until uh, 1949, and uh, quite honestly, I don't think it's celebrated very much. Most of, you know, I think the banks and the post office get the day off, mm -hmm. and that's, a, that's all I know. But uh, the Continental Congress in June 14, 1777, this is their resolution, that the flag of the United States shall be of 13 stripes of alternate red and white with a union of 13 stars of white in a blue field representing the new constellation. Now, these stars were the new constellation put into the sky, letting the other countries know that something new had appeared. Ah. Okay, that's where they put it. Interesting to me, in this is from my own history, is that they did not say anything about how the stars should be placed. Uh -huh. And so several different designs over the years, and sometimes they had more than one design in different places, and the flag wasn't really flown that much, but it ended up in a circle, the... the uh, Revolutionary area, area yep. flag. Okay, and, well, when when was the last time a flag was only good for one year? I'll ask you that. Well, it would have been between Alaska and Hawaii. Okay, kind of. and I was the, the Weekly Reader. Remember the Weekly Reader? Right. They had a big contest. And it was a nationwide contest to uh, decide what those stars should look like on the fifty star flag. Right. And someone sent in a design a kid, and it had USA spelled out in white stars oh, cool. on the blue field. I said, hey, a winner. Yeah, I thought yeah. that was really good. But they ended up just with the alternating roles like they have now. Right. But uh, there, was, there was no standard, no, nothing in the law that said how it had to look. Uh -huh. And so speaking of the stars, can you picture in your mind the stars on the flag and how, how they look? Or? Yeah. Okay, and what do you notice about them? They're all the same. I'm not asking the question right, but at the top of each star, you'll notice that there's one little triangle poked up, and at the bottom there's two down. Okay. Okay. I had never noticed it before. Alan Wright uh, got some old fire hose. So right behind us. Here. Yeah, right there. Yeah. 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 Well, Alan Wright got some old fire hose, and he built a wooden frame, and he cut those the hose into, and he painted, he kept some more white, and he painted some red, 
and he made an American flag. It's about as big as that TV over there. He made two of them, actually. And for the blue field, he uh, painted it blue, and then he got a piece of metal, and he got uh, a laser cutter, and he cut the 50 stars out and put it on the field, and then he sprayed the white, so he had the white stars. So he, I went in to look at his flag one day, and I, great job. You know, it's heavy, but it's made out of the fire hose. It had just a fire department, some of the hoses. It was very nice, and I think it's hanging in the fire department now, I believe. Saw so him a couple of days later. He said, you know what's anything different about those, or funny about those stars? And I said, no. He said, well, he said, somebody else came in and looked at him and said, those stars are upside down. Oh, <laughs> he says he had never looked at them that carefully. Yeah. So he went and looked at a flag and so said, all the little points are up, you know. Right. So he had to paint all the stars in blue and then do the white over oh. <laughs> So uh, I just thought it was very interesting because I had never noticed uh, they were one way or another. You know, they could be whirling for all I know. So I just thought that was very interesting. Speaking, uh, speaking Alan, forgive me, I know yeah. you're not done, but I saw him uh, down in the park today. He was starting his steps towards the the farmer's day yeah, um, yeah. and his work he'll he'll be down there countless hours if you get a chance and you're looking for Alan whenever I'm looking for Alan Joyce just says well you know where he is he's <laughs> yeah. in the park yeah he told me he's down got mice got in there and so he's doing a lot of cleaning yeah uh, of the little mice droppings and uh, we are on this Sunday at the car yeah, and the car cruise, this will be over with, okay. Well, at the car cruise, anyway, we're, doing, we're selling the little mini donuts. And then uh, uh, in June sometime, I have to drive up to Minneapolis and get the donut mix and haul it back here in my pickup because uh, it costs as much to ship it as it does to buy it. Oh, and so I my. said, well, you know, I have nothing to do. I'll drive up there and get yeah. it. And so, and uh, Howard Byer usually rides along with me, and so we make a day of it. Right. And so uh, it's kind of fun. Okay, the first battle... American flag, I thought this was in it, flown in battle, was during the siege of Fort Stanwix on August 3rd, 1777. And the people there heard about the Congress and the design the new American flag. Yeah. So they thought, well, they should have one. And so uh, the soldiers cut up some white shirts of theirs to make the white stripes. And the officers' wives made the red stripes from their flannel petticoats. And then the blue from Captain Abraham Swartwatt's coat was the field and uh they still have congress later paid him for his coat there's a you can uh -huh. find a historical record of that but i thought it was very interesting that the first flag flown in battle was partially women's underwear <laughs> i guess uh, <laughs> but it seemed to do the job because they won the battle but uh so that was the first one there's actually no proof that Betsy Ross had any of the first flags. She was yeah. not a flag maker of any kind. And that people from all over designed the flags for a long time. It was a naval flag. A uh, long time they used almost the same thing as the East India flag. Benjamin Franklin was a real fan of that, I guess. Hey. The flag we have evolved from many different designs to what we have now. Okay. And the first flag raised over a foreign country was first American flag raised over a foreign country. Person, yeah. what country was a, an American flag first raised over? No, yeah, what foreign country, what, what was the first time the American flag was raised in a foreign country? Would that have been, <clears throat> would that have been Germany? No. <laughs> Good guess. No, it was in April 27, 1805, and uh, Lieutenant Spedley O'Banion, United States Marine Corps, 
raised the flag with other U.S. Marines in Tripoli, from the halls of Montezuma uh, to the shores really? of that, Tripoli. Yep. Tripoli, that, that is that, yep. that long ago. Yeah, 1805. Wow. And so they captured, this. they were fighting the pirates. Yeah, kept, yeah. And uh, they... Uh, Captured the fort, and the, he, he and the other Marines raised the American flag. Interesting. So that's the first time. Okay. All right. Then I, I just want to do a little thing with flag etiquette, because okay. some of this is interesting. You never dip the American flag for any person or thing. You know how sometimes they will, in, when they, you know, like passing in review. Right. They never, you never dip the American flag. And I read an account years ago, it was at the Olympics in London, and they were getting ready for the big parade they have at the very beginning. And... Uh, they always choose one man to carry the American flag or one person. And so he's getting ready to go, and uh, these Irish-Americans come up to him, and they said, you'll never be dipping no flag to any English king today. <laughs> and he said, okay. And that's where the tradition started. So the American flag is never dipped for anyone. Uh, the American flag should never touch anything beneath it. It should fly from dusk to dawn unless it's light. If it's lighter, then you can fly overnight. Uh, you do not, you're not supposed to carry the flag horizontally. So when you see these big celebrations like at football stadiums, sometimes they have military in, in uniform with a big flag they're all carrying right. a flag, that's against flag it's etiquette. It's inappropriate. It's inappropriate, yes. But uh, uh, most of these things are kind of ignored now. Flags on wearing apparel are forbidden. And that's why I wore ah, this shirt today so you would that. see that. Yeah. And you see, uh, really got started like during the... Uh, uh, anti-war movement in the late 60s where people started sewing the American flag on their butt, you know, on their, on their blue jeans right. uh, as, as part of the uh, protest. And so uh, its use on wearing apparel is, is not allowed. Uh, you're not supposed to use the flag for promotional purposes or advertising or print it on like paper napkins or boxes or anything else intended to be used and then temporarily and then discarded. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I was telling this to Fritz Keys the other day. We were talking about the flag. Uh, there's a, a restaurant in, in uh, Cloquet, Minnesota called Gordy's. It's a great, uh, been there since the 60s. Diner food, I mean, they go through tons. But when they make a sandwich at the end, they have a toothpick with a little American flag on it, and they stick that in the bun. And so then all those little flags then get thrown in the trash when people are, ah. and that bothers me, you know. I don't, yeah. and I've never said anything to anybody about it, but it does, it bothers me somewhat that all those little flags are just being thrown right. in the trash with the napkins mm -hmm. and the leftover hamburger and this sort of thing. And so, so they, they said in the story, a lot of things are ignored like this, you know, because people are sewing flags on hats and uh, this sort of thing. It's all right for police officers and those sort of things to have flags on the uniforms, but yeah. uh, for regular people, it's, it's against the etiquette. So anyway. Well, go. one thing that I, that I knew from from being a child, a lot of a lot of the stamps, postage stamps, have mm -hmm. flags on. Yeah, and you're not supposed to put that stamp on the letter upside down. Right. Um, if you do, it means that you're in danger in your home. Right. Yeah. It's it's code now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It'd be interesting how many people know that. Yeah. Well, it's part of the flag. Etiquette, you can fly it upside down as a warning or indicate danger mm -hmm. or something like that. It is uh, proper. And uh, when flags are flown at half staff, like when someone dies, important, it should be raised to the top and then slowly lowered half staff. And then at the end of the day, you raise it back to the top and then you bring it back down. 
is the proper way of doing it. And same with Memorial Day. And Memorial Day is supposed to fly at half staff till noon and then full staff afternoon. And right. so I had not realized that for Memorial Day. Yeah. So it's not, I think a lot more people now are honoring the flag and thinking about the flag than ever before, as far as I'm concerned. You see it flying all over the place, and people are quite pr- proud of their flag, and it is uh, uh, quite a good looking flag, I think. So, all right, that's all I got. Thank you, Dale. That's all right. In in Jessup News, um, they're fixing the fire hydrant over by the fire station, actually. Um, (laughs) That makes sense to me. I don't know. Someone (laughs) hit it last winter. It was leaking, actually. And so they've been working on that. The city is deciding on whether or not to, to hire a resident attraction company. Um. Dale, I'll give you a guess. Do you know what a resident attraction company is? I would assume it's a company that tries to get people to move to your town. That's that's what I guess. Yeah. But uh, City Hall told me different. What, oh, okay. What the job is, is this company <clears throat> protects the whoever they're um, whoever they're working for on the internet. Oh, so okay. So if there's something posted on the internet that is wrong or inappropriate about mm-hmm. Jessup. Let's say someone is mad at Jessup yeah. and attacks it. Yep. Um, it is their job to find it and have it removed okay. for yeah. us. I have heard of that, actually. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And the, 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 the cost mm. is somewhere around, and Coley told me, it's somewhere between thirteen dollars and $15,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Coley was telling me that actually Jessup Community School District has a resident attraction company for them. Oh, okay. I did not know that. Yeah, and protects them. Um, So I know businesses have to have something like that because, you know, like your competitors can throw a bunch of negative comments on the Internet and your business, you know, folds because people check those things. So so don't believe anything you read on the Internet. Who said that? Abraham Lincoln. That's right. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) They are asphalting part of 6th Street presently. And the splash pad quotes were due this past Thursday. Okay. Um, actually, they're not necessarily quotes. Yes, they are the quotes. They're not bids or quotes. Okay. I, I believe only two companies in the area do uh, like a splash pad. So okay. they're they're. So are these these are estimates or they're bids? They're bids. Well, they're, bid. they're like bids. They're quotes. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's yeah. Coley called no, them This quotes. is how much they would charge to do yes. the job. Okay, yes. all right. The lunch in the park starts the 8th um, next Thursday. Right. Or so, Be so. This coming Thursday. This coming Thursday, yes. <laughs> um, I was thinking it started last Monday, but or last Thursday, but it didn't. Um, it started the 8th. So they're still looking for anybody who may be interested in, in hosting Lunch in the park all of July. If if you're interested, I uh, saw on the eighth the library friends of the library doing it. They're doing like a potato bar. Yes, I guess. And so, uh, yes. and uh, I I don't eat those normally, but I've had them at lunch in the park before. And they're quite good. So mm-hmm. uh, it's an interesting way to eat a potato. Yeah, it's five dollars. Incredible meal. Yeah, yeah. So, so that that is the community news for us. Tonight we we have on a man that talks about the the railroad depot in Independence, mm-hmm. and so I thought I'd talk about 
the Green Mountain train wreck that took place here in Iowa March 21st, 1910. Okay. At 8 o'clock in the morning. Okay. Do you know where Green Mountain is? I do know. Okay. So I, I've been there before. Okay. Yes. All right. All right. It's, it's, uh, it's actually over in Tama County mm-hmm. um, by Gladbrook, Iowa. Yeah. And not yeah. far from Marshalltown. No, and, not, not far yeah. from Marshalltown. And? Um, the coordinates, oh. actually, are 42 yeah. degrees yeah. Uh, north and 60 degrees west. Yeah. So. A, little, a little aside here is that... Uh, you know, Gladbrook, Rhinebeck, Gladbrook and Rhinebeck have been feuding for yeah. many since they combined, and Gladbrook even tried to get out of the district, had tried to have the district resol- uh, dissolve. But many, many kids from Gladbrook open and roll at Green Mountain. And actually, uh, to my friends, Nolly, they're keeping that district afloat with all the money coming in oh, from, really? the, from Gladbrook because the Gladbrook people are very bitter uh-huh. about things with Rhinebeck, and so a lot of them go to Green Mountain to the school. So. Yeah. yeah. But anyhow, the Green Mountain train wreck is the worst railroad accident in Iowa history. It occurred between Green Mountain and Garwin on the morning of March 21st, 1910, and killed 52 people. Oh, wow. I never... Yeah, yeah. It was a a terrible wreck. Uh, A train wreck earlier that morning at Shelvesburg meant that the Rock Island line trains were being diverted from Cedar Rapids to Waterloo over Chicago's Great Western Tracks via Marshalltown. The trains concerned were the number 21 St. Louis Twin Cities and the number 19 Chicago Twin Cities, which had been combined into a 10-car train with two locomotives traveling backward, tender first. (laughs) Okay. And the new combined train now had two wooden cars sandwiched between locomotives and a steel Pullman car. And other steel cars. So you had steel cars here, steel cars here, yeah. and two wooden cars in, in the, the middle. middle. Yeah, okay. And that was bad. Yeah. And so between Green Mountain and Gladbrook, just east of the Marshall County border, the lead engine left the track, hit a clay embankment coming to a sudden stop. The steel cars sliced through the two wooden cars. I mean, I can't imagine yeah, the, the horror, force yeah, yeah. and the horror that... It brought the steel cars sliced through the two wooden coaches, a smoking car, and a ladies' day coach containing many children. There were no no fatalities in the Pullman cars, in the metal cars. Yeah. One of the uninjured passengers said, I saw a woman on the coach crushed into a bleeding mass, their bodies twisted out of human shape. I have seen what I shall see all my life when I dream. A relief train arrived two hours after the accident, and it was later reported the site was one of a horribly crushed, mutilated, and dismembered body. No official cause was ever released for the wreck, nor were any charges of neglect ever made, although the crash did result in the introduction of a new safety procedure. Okay. So I can't imagine no, I, those metal cars yeah. going into that wood. No, I had never heard about that. That yeah. is very interesting. That's a oh. Green Mountain train wreck. Any news on Farmer's Day, Dale? Uh, no, we're having our next meeting next Tuesday, so uh, okay. hopefully we'll uh, have something more then to report. And uh, I'm, I'm proud to say that uh, Thursdays in June and the, the 13th of July, I believe that's Thursday in July, at 1 o'clock, along with the Jessup Public Library, the Steve Brown Arts Center is hosting Art 
in the park. Okay. And today was the first one. Ali Borgeding and Becky Wierspan did Plast Paris Human with with the children. And they were incredible. Okay. They I went down to watch and I I thought I'd stop and take some pictures and I ended up staying the whole hour <laughs> watching as as these these kids just did incredible art. Yeah, well, that's great. Yeah, so. um, there were, there were probably about oh, 15, 16 kids, and and then uh, four or five mothers and grandmothers, and mm-hmm. Becky and Allie and myself. And and um, although I'm, I uh, I'm not an artist, I I, I assisted well. in in some of the arts. Yeah. <laughs> so so that was fun, but. Uh, some of the other things that Steve Brown Art Center has going on in June include uh, we're at the farmers market. We have a medium coming coming in June 10th um, from about nine until 12 at the Independence Farmers Market. If you want your your history read or your history. future read, okay. your history and your future. future. Okay, and she uses cards. She use, uses cards, tarot okay. cards. Tarot cards. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we also have. Have um, we've also been doing StoryCorps, and we we've had some neat stories. If you go to StoryCorps and type in Buchanan County, Iowa, they will come up. Oh, and okay. um, some people that were interviewed included Serena Andrews, talks about her sister that passed away from cancer. Um, Joe Olson, a friend of the C. Brown Art Center, talks about. His support of art in Buchanan County, Iowa. Um, we talked to Roger Barloon, um, the in- independence music teacher, about his how he got into education. Okay. Um, so you get a chance go to StoryCorps and type in Buchanan County, Iowa, and those those interviews come up. Remember, they go into the Library of Congress. And you're doing those during Farmer's Day also. We're doing yeah, those during Farmer's Day The gazebo well. is, is, is wide open for you. Good. Anytime you want. So. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. We are also pushing really hard, and we don't have enough people yet for the, the theater group that, that is coming. It is, it is the week of July 24th through July 28th from 9 until 5 each day. Uh it's for all aspiring actors from from ages six to thirteen, and they these are professionals coming in, and they're going to help the students put on a drama that week at the end of the week. It's a musical. A musical. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, uh, I know. Um, I I I was in a uh, a text thread today with Heather actually mm-hmm. and Kara, and. Heather said that they are putting on Mary Poppins this yep. week. Yeah, that's where I'm going. Oh, you are. Yeah. You're going out yeah. to Mary Poppins. Yeah. We are trying to get at least 20 students for that. Right now we have four. And Kara is pushing, pushing that. Um, I am working in Waterloo a little bit to get more people from Waterloo. Um, we will get that. Um, the people putting this on are donating their time. And uh, they're not taking, you know, no expense money or anything. Mm-hmm. They just, uh, Heather is a graduate of Jessup and, and she knew Steve Brown and she just 
thought this is a way that she could help. And so uh, this is all volunteer on their part. And they're quite good. Uh, they do a wonderful job with kids. If, you, if you're still interested in signing up, there are, there are applications down here at uh, 591 at Cowork, and Kelly, Kelly has them in her office. Stop by. Also, Brock Sabres has them at the school. Okay. Um, as far as Littleton Free Watermelon Day, we are, and I, I've talked to several of the artists in the last two or three days, actually, and that is coming up as well. The 29th. Did you check the watermelon plants? Are they growing? or Actually, Actually, we checked. Okay. Um, the 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 Independence FFA is supplying mm-hmm. the watermelon. Yeah. But it's been so dry. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's why I was wondering. So yeah. But I, had, I don't think any rain today. We had some rain today. I don't know if they got any rain. Well, but, uh, it's yeah, they need a lot. They need to water those plants. They, they need do the watermelon. Yeah. Yeah, I've been watering my flowers, but my grass looks yeah. like a desert. Yeah, it looks like August, doesn't it? Yeah, it's just it very, does. very strange. So. Uh, um, we need we need rain. Um, some uh, some <clears throat> of the musical groups or the musical groups that day are the Belvins and Powers will will be on the Reyes stage from one until three. Chuck Reagan and Mandy McCleary. I talked to them just before I came. Actually, okay. Dale, they are going to be on the Littleton Chatham Historical Stage from three until five, and the Bad Habits Band will be on the Reyes stage from six until eight. Uh, artists include Bruce Gordon, a colored pencil artist from from Grundy Center, Iowa, and Helen Hunter from Marion, Iowa, and Barb Prawl, um, one of the one of the better. She's your favorite. Isn't she, she is yeah. my favorite. Yep. She is she is an incredible one. Uh, I talked. Barb just makes me happy every time I talk to <laughs> well, her. That's the kind of person to talk to. Then. Yep. Yep. The food vendors include the Jessup Lions Club, Boyd's Food Truck, and Totally Rolled Ice Cream out of Northeast Iowa. Free watermelon, four to five. Sponsors include Littleton Lounge, Reyes Concrete, Littleton Chatham Historical Society, Jacobson Fabrication and Repair, Dream Chaser Acres, Boyd's. Jessup Lions Club, Independence High School, FFA, Thomas James, Totally Rolled Ice Cream, Northeast Iowa, Even Events and Rentals, and Derek's Repair Shop. And this is all presented by the Steve Brown Arts Center. Dale, the Steve Brown Arts Center is working diligently to get a, a get a home. Uh-huh. Um, we are we are sharing sharing homes like with Cowork Five Nine One right now. They're kind enough to. To let us do our studio stuff here, we we have done stuff at the Littleton Chatham Historical Society. We've done stuff at the library. Um, we do stuff in the park. We've done stuff in the basement of City Hall. We've done stuff at Jessup Community School District. Okay, and we are we are working to find a home. Yeah. Um, so I don't have a cough, but the <laughs> cheap outfit. I know it. I know it. The the if we 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 thought at one point we had a a storefront and for because because of contractual arrangements with another group we live, we we don't get that uh, storefront, which I understand. Uh huh. We were offered a house, but uh, the house is in disrepair, mm-hmm. and it, it would just cost us too much to 
to uh, rebuild that. Yeah. But it, it is our dream, and eventually we will get that dream. Uh, if you if you would like to donate to the Steve Brown Arts Center or have an idea for an event, go to stevebrownartscenter.org and follow the link. If you have news or would like to sponsor us, email us at jim at stevebrownartscenter.org or call 319-290-0241 and leave a message. Dale is pretty prominent in the Jessup community. If you see Jessup, Dale on the streets in Jessup, don't don't hesitate to uh, stop and share any ideas with him. We're here with uh, Blake Tempest, and Blake uh, Blake has been producing us since the start, yep. and we we cannot say enough kind words about him. Um, he is going to college. He's working two jobs, and he is uh, he's raising a motorcycle and a, and a car right now. Besides, so so and he doesn't um, yell at us too much, does he? He for does. Being old and not knowing what we're he, doing, so he, yes, he drags us through it. Yeah, um, I'm think, I'm Jim Gillespie. Thanks to co-host Dale Ruby, our producers Blake Tempest and Kelly Seahas at Cohort Five Nine One Studios. Remember, each day is about little victories. Little victories. <laughs>